This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of meaningful sport. Welcome back to the second part of our conversation with Dr. Richard Sill, where we are talking about Isle of Man TT and other high-risk sports. But so in the first part, we heard some stories um, that give us a nice background to the research that Rich has been doing and his applied work. We touched upon that as well. And we talked about existential psychology as a good framework or grounding to start taking a look at Isle of Man TT, which is such a controversial sporting event. And so now that we've had a good discussion on the background uh, of this work, I think it would be really lovely now to get into detailed exploration of the stories that you have heard in your research, Rich. So maybe start out with a little bit introducing us to your uh, research participants, the TT riders, and then we can move into those stories that have been uh, shared in your research. Yeah, of course. So as as I said, there was four riders that we ended up speaking to, and and they were a mix of active and retired uh, riders, experienced uh, winners in the main. So, you know, from their narratives, we, we kind of identified two key themes, really, that we narrowed it down to. So the, there was one we called that was the pivotal thing, um, which explored boundary situations that that led to them actually competing at the TT. And then the second theme um, we identified was you're living your life, not just existing. Uh, and that explored TT as a site for this thriving and engaging fully with life. Yeah, so if if we start with the boundary situation, so there were there were three really interesting stories, two very compelling actually. There was there was one story around um, the death of a, a close family member, which was the the sort of pivotal moment for this rider starting to compete. There was one around um, a, a rider who had significant mounting debt from short circuit racing and. And was considering ending his own life, and and TT was sort of the way out for him. And then there was there was another uh, interesting story about um, the feelings of emptiness with one rider who'd been striving his whole career to win this prestigious championship on the short circuits. Um, but then once he'd achieved that, you know, there's just this emptiness, and what what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they, you know, for me, they were the three really interesting boundary situations that you know we we spent a bit of time talking over didn't we yeah Mm -hmm. and yeah boundary situation is one of the key 
concepts in existential thoughts or boundary situation or critical moments or we call them in our recent work like discontinuous experiences. So it's really these moments when you're really in this kind of crossroad, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And there is some some kind of breakdown in in your everyday way of living. So you can't just keep going the way that you have before. And I think there is now with the event that you, the last one you mentioned about really achieving your goal, it's something that you work for, for such a long time. And now there's much more work on, you know, looking at this. If yeah. you achieve what you worked for, for so long, then comes the question of, well, what now, what am I going to do? Yeah. And I think, um, Kate Hayes and, and some of the team at the EIS did a really good job after this Olympic cycle of, of looking at that post-Olympic blues and decompression. Um, so, yeah, you know, again, the importance of that has, has come to the fore more recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean that, the, the, the first, you know, the first participant story was um, it was a guy who he'd always wanted to have a go at racing. He'd always been interested in the TT. Um, he'd watched the TT, he'd wanted to have a go, but his, his dad was adamant that, you know, he, he, he shouldn't race. Um, and then when he was, um, in his teens, his dad died suddenly. Um, and, you know, he talked to me about the, the death of his dad being that pivotal moment that, that really launched his, his racing career. Um, you know, cause after that, he, he, he thought, I'm, I'm going to live life, do what I want to do rather than what other people say that you should do. That was his quote. Um, mm-hmm. So it was really the trigger for him to, I, I guess, live a more authentic life. And after that, he would then uh, go on to racing and and being quite successful. You mentioned that all of them have been very successful in the TT, the mm-hmm. people who you talk to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, existential psychology would suggest that, you know, acknowledgement of that, you know, your own mortality can can lead to that um, taking up active responsibility for for your own existence and and embracing a, an authentic and, and meaningful life. Yeah, so we looked at the boundary situations a little bit, but the second theme was really about this really living we can connect that to that idea of authenticity and not just existing or not kind of doing what you are expected to do. So maybe we can explore this other theme a little bit further. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, it was the second theme was about um, thriving and engaging fully with life and, and TT being, being a vehicle for that. So again, I've got a quote here from a, a participant you know, I always say racing a motorbike, you're living your life, not just existing. You're living your life. Most people, they're just existing. They're just going to work to pay their mortgage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, that was a, it was a real, really powerful, that really resonated with me, you know, sort of given my, you know, my backstory, as I explained before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, living and existing are, are not the same thing and it reminded me of that you know the the, the quote that's attributed to Seneca about you mustn't think a man has lived long because he has white hair and wrinkles he's not lived long just existed long 
So, you know, for me, you've got what the media would describe as a thrill-seeking junkie, effectively quoting Seneca to me. Um, So, you know, again, I just thought it was wonderful, that link. Mm Mm-hmm. But then, I mean, retirement was not the focus of your study, obviously, and you had still active uh, riders in your interviews. But I'm wondering, like, what happens when you then retire if really doing this is your way of living and not just existing? And the quote refers to other people just going to your job. But what happens when the rider retires and they will also go to some sort of job? <laughs> yeah. So, do you have those stories maybe outside of your research in in terms of the adaptation? De- yeah, definitely. I mean, like you say, it wasn't the focus of the research retirement, but um, you know, an- anecdotally, riders do e- even after retiring from racing, they stay involved in some capacity. You know, it, it, it's part of their identity, I think, and and they they want to stay involved in some way. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to think of. Of, of people who, who aren't still involved in, in some way. Yeah. You know, be, be that through a sort of, um, commentary or rider liaison or team management or, you know, any number of different roles, sponsorship. Yeah. There's definitely, um, a theme of staying involved. Yeah. So retirement was one thing identified as potential. This could be something to look further. And the other thing is uh, the injuries. It was not the focus of the study, but participants also talked to you about their injuries. And so those are really a risk or a threat to their involvement. Yeah, you know, definitely, you know, injury is that, um, again, it's an existential crisis or a boundary situation or whatever, you know, it's, it's that potential career disruption um you know will will you be able to take part in this activity that you you know love and means so much to you ever again so you know it's that threat to the athletic identity and the self story and you know in that situation how a rider is going to resolve the 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 existential crisis if you like and mm-hmm. yeah that you know that led me on to some subsequent research around long term injury which again was you know, we probably haven't got time to go into it in detail today, but, you know, again, just just fascinating. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about that just in a little little while when we finish up on the TT discussion. And you said what triggered you to do the work partly was kind of the discrepancy between the media narrative being very simplistic versus what um, your understanding of this culture and of this event and of the writers and having the opportunity to talk to the riders, and as you mentioned, they talked to you very openly and told you some very personal things as well. Did your own understanding change, or was there something that was on something you didn't anticipate in these interviews and and the stories that came up? Yeah, the, the, I mean, there was, there was a lot that I around the motivations. You know, again, TT sold as the the greatest road race in the world, but you know, some of the motivations for racing at the TT didn't really reflect that. Um, you know, so maybe motivations around, well, I've won this championship, so what am I going to do next? Oh, I'll have a go at the TT. Um, motivations around, I've got this massive debt that I I cannot cope with. How am I going to earn some money? I'll go and race the TT. 
you know, it, that doesn't fit into the narrative that, you know, the TT is the pinnacle and, and this is what riders are, are, are necessarily aiming for. So, you know, there was, there was that element of it. But I, I think, you know, for me, it was the, it, it was the, the deep philosophical side that they, they were communicating to me, albeit in very blunt and flowery language. But, you know, they, it, I was getting deep and meaningful stuff from them. And it, you know, it really resonated and, and it didn't, again, it didn't fit with the mainstream media image and portrayal of them. Yeah. So I, I guess the takeaway is, you know, as we kind of guessed there would be, the, there's so much more depth to this that, than what j- uh, lazy journalism will, will put out there. Mm-hmm. That some of them, just like you said, the way it was communicated was maybe not so <laughs> sophisticatedly philosophical, but there was some deep thinking around, you know, what makes life worth living for them. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think another really interesting, the first point you said that, you know, that would be the pinnacle and this is what people strive towards. And maybe one of your stories was like that, that it required the death of a parent for that person to now I can pursue what I really want to pursue. So that was something that he had before. But for these other guys, it was more that there was this boundary situation that changed their life course. And then after that, the TT became something that they wanted to pursue after having this, well, at least one of the guys we can talk about an existential crisis with the death and and thinking of taking his own life. So I think unexpected turn in their life pathway and how the TT then became their new project is certainly something that you wouldn't expect from the popular narrative around yeah and, and and just to build on that you know the popular narrative is how dangerous it is whereas this rider described the tt as you know in many ways he, he described the tt saving his life so completely flipping the the narratives there yeah because he had already given up on his life but then this gave him some new project to pursue and yeah yeah so we could carry on you know, partaking in this activity that that he loved so much and was so dear to him and meant so much to him, yeah, yeah, and and which he prioritized over you know other aspects of his life. Yeah, I think those are like I really enjoyed working together, and I think the narratives are really profound, and it's interesting also to think about other sports. And you talked about your own fell running, and you know this risk sports that they have this element that is not just about having risky experiences but also maybe it is a deeper reflection for some we shouldn't say that for everybody but so we can call it existential questions or exploring these existential questions as a, through participating in these activities yeah is anyone else doing anything on the tt have you seen any new research since you finished your project i haven't seen anything no no mm-hmm. um you know as i say that i, I kind of went on to look at um you know long term injury experiences mm-hmm. that was a bit broader that was just that was in general with road races not just tt and then i i did a little fun study as well looking at um 
using published autobiographies of TT racers to explore their childhood and adolescent experiences as mm-hmm. antecedents to expert TT performance. Yeah. And did that reveal something new that you didn't know from the interviews? Um, yeah, I mean, there was, there was some yeah, really interesting stuff in there. And I, I guess, you know, how they storied their adolescent and childhood development. So, um, you know, the narrative structures reflected um, in the early part, a quest narrative or the hero's journey, that sort of narrative. Um, you know, you could clearly see the call to adventure, um, the mentor, the road of trials, those kind of elements to the story. But then, you know, they they sort of quickly morphed into this performance narrative as they, you know, as they got to a, a certain age. So, so that that was interesting. I think the narrative structures of all all four autobiographies that I looked at were were deterministic in their tone. So, um, for example, one of the autobiographies is titled it, "It's called It's in the Blood." Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, couldn't couldn't be more deterministic than that. And then the the first line of another one reads, "You know, some people say that a thing is in your is, is in their blood. Racing really is in mine." So again, it's you know a, a very very similar narrative that 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 is deterministic in in many ways. Right. This was what I was born to do. You know, yeah. there is no other way. Which which is interesting to contrast to what we found in in our study then about you know authenticity and and responsibility. Mm-hmm. Unexpected turns. Yeah. Exactly. In the road. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, it was really interesting, and you know, I've I've gone in to do a bit more analysis, looking at three main themes that support talent development. So there's there's the um, the home environment, enthusiastic engagement, and then um, a theme around role models, which you know, role models seem to play a really important part in in the development of of riders' careers. You know, and and often that role model is is their father, who's been involved in bikes. Mm-hmm. you know all their yeah. life as well so as i say yeah it's, it's it's just a bit of a fun project at the moment but it it has been interesting to um to go through the process and and like i say contrast with with some of our findings as well yeah and there are some discussions about different types of data you know the when is the published autobiographies and you know what's the intended audience and yeah. how is the narrative being crafted i mean obviously all the narratives are being crafted and performative so also your interview participants choose to tell you something and not something else but i guess this kind of intentional thinking about you know what kind of narrative do i craft for the mm. public or we can think about that in terms of why are you getting different type of story from Uh, published sources compared to interviews that you've done yeah i mean you know we always have to be wary of you know the the purpose of putting stories out there whether it being in a a research um environment or whether it be through a a published autobiography but yeah you know it's i I still think there's value in published autobiographies as a data source it's just we we have to have Mm -hmm. the um appropriate safeguards to ensure that they're that, that data is used properly. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, um, you know, we are living in a society where like risk is being minimized and, you know, children can't have trees around because they might fall and, and all this. 
how do you think about the future of TT? That is it allowed to continue or you really nicely shared the history behind in the first part of our discussion. So what does the future look like for this event? Do you think that it will uh, flourish and, and keep going? Well, that's the million dollar question. Um, it, you know, it's, it's obviously with COVID, it's the last two have been cancelled. So the next one is due to take place in um, May, June next year. Again, COVID is, you know, changes day to day, doesn't it? So we never really know. I, I, I think there, there is there is an appetite for it, definitely. Um, I think the riders do love doing it. It's it's a part of their income stream as well, you know, so that's an important element. It's an important part of the Isle of Man's income stream. So one estimate is that the TT contributes £25 million to the Isle of Man economy each year. So, you know, when, when you, you talk about money and brass tax, you know, it's, it's important to the Isle of Man that this event continues to go ahead. I, I think they're making um, sensible decisions make on, made based on risk assessments, but they're not, you know, you can't eliminate the risk without eliminating the event. Um, but I think, you know, certain areas where spectators can watch you know, more and more areas are being um, sort of vetoed, ruled out, so spectators can't watch. You know, some of the places I used to go as a kid, you just can't watch there anymore. Um, but, you know, I think they're, they're sensible precautions. There are still places you can get really, really close to the action. It's just, you know, maybe one particular corner that's potentially dangerous. You know, it makes sense to, to stop people watching there. Um, I, I think it will continue. I think it'll still be successful. It just might change in, in different ways. I mean, they've had over the last 10 years, they've dabbled with what they've called TT Zero, which is um, electric bikes racing one lap of the track. Um, that's, they're having a bit of a hiatus on that for now, but I'm, I'm sure there'll be more innovation that, that comes along that, that helps to um, sustain the TT for what it is and and builds a platform to to the future and yeah with COVID no one knows just like you said uh, yeah, too many unknowns yeah. at the moment but but mm -hmm. once we are back you'll you'll have to come over again Nora and uh, and see the racing again yeah okay I think for the TT so I think we had a really nice discussion about that but Yes, the project is actually completed already a couple of years ago. And after that, you've done some different research and you completed the professional doctorate in Liverpool. Uh, great job with that. So maybe just talk a little bit about where your research evolved after that. And, and then as a second point, a little bit about your applied work and, and what you do with athletes at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the research kind of morphed into that, you know, the autobiographical study I was talking about, but then the long-term injury experience as well. I, I think it was when it was when Chris Froome, the cyclist, had a bad accident in training. I don't know if you remember that. Um, he, he was in a real bad way. And, and I, I remember thinking at the time, I'm sure there's loads that other sports could learn from the way motorcycle racers you know cope with with their injury experiences because you know it, it's not unheard of for riders to be out for 12 18 months two years three years mm -hmm. you know with, with with pretty severe 
injuries, polytrauma. Yes. Um, so so that, w- that was the basis for that, really. And then trying to understand the injury experience a bit better with a view to, to putting more support mechanisms in place to, to support riders. Because, again, anecdotally, we'd heard, you know, there was, there was very little support. You know, a, a rider has a, a, a bad accident. You know, somebody packs up their van for them, and then that, that's it, really. Yeah. Um, they, they're just left to the medical professionals. Um, so that that was the um, that was the driver really behind that one. And you know, we, we had some again. I think I spoke to four participants. Um, extended interviews. It was I think it was early last year. Yeah, early early last year we did that. Early twenty twenty. Um, so we've got a few ideas now about how to introduce some support mechanisms for, well, for injured riders, but also for the families and friends of injured riders, because you know, as we know, social support is a is a massive buffer against mental health problems during yeah. you know long term layoffs. So it, it's number one, how can we help the riders? But number two, how can we help? You know, how can we support the people who support the riders? It's very hard for them as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it, you know, mm-hmm. if you think about some of these injuries, they're you know, riders, you know, if they've broken their back and their legs or something, you know, they they can't do anything. So, so you effectively become a full time carer overnight, um, and and that's a lot to deal with. And the stories you heard were they really dark, or how did they make meaning of that experience? Um, there were there were some. There were some dark stories, some some stories corroborating addiction to pain-killing drugs that that we'd already heard in in in, in other sources. Yeah. Um, but equally, there were there were really positive stories. You know, there there were stories around again responsibility. You know, when when a rider was initially injured, the responsibility for physically, um. Well, one rider said that the medical professionals will bolt you back together. So, you know, they knew the physical, the initial physical recovery was the medical professional's responsibility. But then it was about when does the rider need to take responsibility for for that? You know, um, the rider taking responsibility for their attitude towards recovery. Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in most cases, you know they were taking responsibility very very early to get themselves well and and not i could i kind of expected it would be right i need to get back on a bike as quickly as possible and that would drive the the story but i think on reflection maybe time away from the bike gave them wider perspective on again their their social support their family ties um things they were grateful for so i guess it taps into some of that you know, post-trauma um, growth, you know, some of that positive psychology literature. Um, yeah, yeah, gratitude for the people in their lives. Um, and then another theme was was alienation from the sport, which, you know, is something we, we would maybe expect, but how, how we could bridge the gap um, between the injured athlete and the sport. And maybe it's through a more... Um, coherent mentoring type process mm-hmm. 
So was the alienation about disconnect with the people in sport or like somehow the whole doing the sport itself or what kind of alienation are we? Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was alienation from, from, from the people in the sport and the organization from the sport. It was that, that mm-hmm. loneliness and isolation, if you like. Yeah. Um, so it was about how, how do we reconnect them to, um, or, or offer them a bridge back to, to the sport. It, it was almost like you're an injured athlete and you're on the outside until you're a healthy athlete and then you're back on the inside. There was no sort of transition to it. And, and I think that's, that's where we were looking is, is how can we make it a more, uh, not a seamless transition, but, but how can we help a transition back into the sport? It's sad to hear those stories so often in my work as well in different sports. Yeah. That when you're injured, you just feel like a complete outsider. Yeah. And and you know, one one rider said, you know, the, the team were great. They were you know, they were they were in touch, but he said, you know, two weeks later the team were going to another event and somebody else jumped on his bike and soon after that he's forgotten about. Mm. Yeah, that's certainly part of the why being injured is so hard for so many people. That's yeah. it. When when you're in that professional space, it's you know particularly challenging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then my second question was about your applied work. So um, maybe a few words about that. Yeah. So uh, I mean, at, at Isle of Man Sport, we we support athletes, um, uh, higher performing athletes with you know ambitions of commonwealth olympic games and professional careers and we also have a um a long-term athlete development program for for younger athletes from from 13 to to 16 i would say so delivering kind of life skills development um delivered through the medium of sport if you like because they you know they all want to be olympic champions or whatever um so sport is a nice vehicle to help them with some of this character development and, and life skills, which we know will be great for their sport. It'll be great for their well-being, their resilience. And if they don't make it in sport, it'll be great for their careers, you know, wh- whatever they choose to do outside that sporting domain. So they're, they're the two main strands, really. And, and I guess the takeaway is a lot of this humanistic existential research and learning has really informed my approach to to how I work with athletes then you know there's a lot you know my applied work does focus on meaning and purpose uh, and values you know more so than maybe some of the more superficial elements of of performance psychology so so I guess I guess that's it kind of brings it full circle there doesn't it really and um yeah, it's it's how research has informed my practice, and um, yeah, it's 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 been so so beneficial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for the conversation. It's been really great to connect again, and with the research part of it, some of those stories I know when we discussed over, but also I think like these broader stories behind the research and your applied work as well. Or like really lovely to hear hear those as well so i think we have come to the end so thank you so much for taking the time and yeah all the best in your future work 
Well, thank you very much, Nora. I appreciate the invite and it's always good to speak with you. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.